I hope you have your Bibles with you this morning. Grab them and get ready. As I said earlier, here at Redeemer Bible Church, we seek to take the first Sunday in September as Renewal Sunday. It coincides with the beginning of the school year. We go back to, as you just saw, our kids' classes during the sermon time, and the kids are moving up a grade, which makes all of us parents a little sad seeing our kids getting a little older. But the reason that we call it Renewal Sunday is because on Renewal Sunday, we are seeking, as the members of Redeemer Bible Church, to recenter ourselves, to sync up, so to speak, with reality, and to call ourselves and one another to be renewed in our minds in accordance with what God has called his people to believe and do. In our first Renewal Sunday, just a couple of years ago, we looked at the Scripture's call to us to be committed to being and making disciples together. By God's grace, I think we have seen tremendous growth in our body over the last couple of years in that way. Last year, our Renewal Sunday sermon came from the text of the next passage in our Matthew study. Worked out great that way. Uh, And that's normally how we preach here. Just go through the next section in whatever book of the Bible we're preaching through, section by section, verse by verse. We pursue understanding what God has said and just letting it speak for itself. We're convinced that's the best way to preach. It's what's known as expositional preaching. But a solo passage every now and then is a good thing too, and we're going to do that today. Next week, we're going to jump back into our series in Matthew and be there for quite a while. But today, I would like to invite you to turn to John 13. John 13. You'll find John 13 on page 900 if you happen to be using one of the Bibles that are provided for you in the backs of the chairs. And uh, as I always say, if taking one of those Bibles home for yourself or to give it to someone else would, would be a good idea, please do that. Feel free. John 13. In 2015, a single lady showed up here at RBC and began attending. She was coming to everything, fellowship group, E412, our prayer gatherings, of course, the Sunday worship gathering like this one. And Kate and I happened to notice that she was particularly quiet, not unfriendly, but just quiet, not really going out of her way to start conversations or volunteering in a small group setting to lead in the reading of a passage or or in prayer. And over time, the Lord drew Kate's and my hearts towards her, grew in us a desire to just invite her into our lives. And so we did. Actually began with inviting her to watch the Marvel movies with us because she had said she'd never seen any of them, and so we made that kind of an icebreaker. But eventually, along the way, much deeper spiritual conversations began to take place. And she began to open up about the joys and sorrows of her life, the passions and pains that she experienced, the trials and the triumphs as well. And what happened was we continued to grow in mutual love for one another, and our relationship was deepened. She became then more comfortable and more and more comfortable sharing things with us, and then even being transparent and genuine with others in the church and in small group settings or whatever else. And now... She not only volunteers to read passages or lead in prayer, she is our children's ministry coordinator. That's Lisa. I'm kind of bummed she's downstairs and couldn't hear this little, this little tribute, I suppose. I can't imagine, and I know many of you cannot imagine life in ministry at Redeemer without Lisa. And many of you have similar stories with her. And I'm saying this 
to shine a spotlight not on her, not on, certainly not on Kate and me, but on one example of what God does when we open up ourselves to what he's calling us to, even something as simple as being hospitable to a new person in the church. One other illustration or story is just a couple of years ago in 2022, in one of the fellowship groups, there was a gathering for a simple board game night at the home of Norman Katie Poppy. It was not anything very special planned for the evening. We had a brief time of prayer at the beginning where the leader asked if there were any requests, and then we talked about them a little bit and prayed. But the plan was just to play some board games, have some fun, be together as brothers and sisters, and enjoy time together in conversation and, and some entertainment through board games. But in attendance that night was also a new family, unbelievers who were growing curious about the Bible and Christianity, but weren't exactly on the path of pursuing being full-blown Christians and members of a church. But at that game night at the Poppies, that family saw Christians ordinarily interacting with each other in grace and kindness and love and courtesy. And it made such a big impact on that family that they eventually did come to a corporate worship gathering. And now they were at our membership class this past weekend. It's Ryan and Bree Armstrong, who also aren't here today, here today to hear me talk about them. They're actually on their uh, a little bit of a family camping vacation this weekend. And in fact, it was just a couple of months ago that Ryan said to me, sitting uh, across from me in a coffee shop, that he is now all in on Jesus. And it all started with a simple fellowship group board game night that they were invited to, where they noticed the love and kindness and grace of the community of faith together. Those are just two examples of what I've seen God do at our church over the last several years, and they remind me of the message of John 13, 35. In John 13, 35, I believe we see the centrality of Jesus in the community of Jesus leading to the mission of Jesus. The centrality of Jesus in the community of Jesus leading to the mission of Jesus. Of Jesus. Let's read John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Obviously, Jesus is the one talking here. If you have a red letter version of the Bible, the words there are in red. And what Jesus is saying here is one of the most profound things that is said in all the New Testament. He's saying that his people move his mission forward in part through their love for each other, in part through their love for each other. The very center of this verse is the word my. Jesus is referring to himself when he says my disciples. He's talking about his followers, those who follow Jesus. And he says that outsiders not those who follow Jesus, all people at the beginning of the verse will know that those followers of Jesus are followers of Jesus through their love for one another. And so I see three parts of the message of this verse. I already said it's the centrality of Jesus and the community of Jesus leading to the mission of Jesus. And so let's just take them that way. Jesus, community, mission. Jesus is at the center. The community is the subject of what he's talking about here. And the mission is the goal of all of it. 
Jesus Community Mission. That's what I want to draw our attention to this Renewal Sunday. I gave two examples just a moment ago of things that I've seen God do, but John 13 is an account from God's Word. In other words, it's something that God has said. And so those two examples I shared may be helpful, but they're mere illustrations of what John 13, 35 is explicitly saying from the Lord to us through His Word. So what John 13, 35 says matters far more than those two illustrations. As we seek to examine and understand this, let's back up just a bit to the beginning of John 13 and take a look at what's happening in the context of the words of Jesus in verse 35. Look first at verses 1 through 5 of John 13. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured it into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Skip down to verse 12 through verse 15. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Now skip down to verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You see what's going on in the context of what Jesus says in verse 35, the broader context of the whole chapter? John tells us in these first handful of verses that Judas is about to make plans to betray our Lord. Simon Peter, if you know the context of this whole event in biblical history, is about to deny Jesus. That's going to take place uh, at the end of the chapter, Jesus' foretelling of Peter's denial. And it's at the Lord's Supper, which we remember today, this feast of Passover setting, Uh, you'll see in other gospel accounts, is when the Lord's Supper was about to take place, which is something that takes place right before his crucifixion. And so that's the context of Jesus' words to his disciples to love one another to the end that the world will see that they're his disciples. The context is Judas is about to betray him, Peter is about to deny him, and his Jewish people are about to crucify him. And it's in that context that Jesus does and says some incredibly astonishing stuff. We'll start by looking at him. What do these words in John 13 mean? What do they reveal about Jesus? What do they tell us about what he wants from his followers? What do they show us about the importance of him being at the center? There's at least three lessons about Jesus in this passage that we ought to take that he served, that he led, and that he commanded. First, 
He served. You see what Jesus was doing in the first five verses that we read just a moment ago? He was washing the feet of his disciples right as they are about to betray, deny, and abandon him. Now, if you've never read what happens in the whole context of the scriptures at Jesus' betrayal, his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, you need to read it. And you'll see that Jesus' disciples did not stick by him to the end. They did not stand up for him. In fact, some of them, as I already said, betrayed and denied him as he was enduring the worst pain and agony that any of us could ever imagine. And what's he doing with these disciples that he knew were about to fail him? He's serving them. He's going to lay down his life for them at the cross very shortly. But he's laying down his life in a different sense here too, isn't he? He's stooping to the place of a servant to wash their feet. Those of you who have been students of the Bible and followers of Jesus for many years may know this already. But for those of you that don't know this, what Jesus was doing here washing his disciples' feet, was even more impactful to them then than it might seem to us now. For us, it's already a potentially gross enough idea to take the feet of some of your friends in your hands and wash them. But for the disciples of Jesus, Jesus doing this was more than just dirty or gross. It was a task reserved for servants. In that time, in that historical context, this act of foot washing was for the servants to do. And Jesus was their master. Jesus was their teacher. He was their mentor. More than that, he is the Lord. And all throughout his earthly ministry up to this point, he had made clear to anyone who was listening and knew the scriptures that he was the arrival of God incarnate, the Son of God. And despite the fact that he was the one who had created them, who had all authority over them, he served them. And this was important because, as we know from the rest of the passage, this was a sort of foreshadowing, if you will, of the greatest service that was to follow. Taking upon himself the form of a servant was exactly what Jesus had come to do, and it found its ultimate fulfillment at the cross when Jesus laid down his life so that those he loved might be saved. But later in this passage, in the context of John 13, it's also clear that Jesus was leading them. Here's what I mean. Look, at, look again at what he says in verses 12 through 15. After he washed their feet, he says in verse 13, You call me teacher... And Lord, and you're right, for I am. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Here it is, verse 15. I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus was leading them even as he was serving them. He wants his disciples to do what he did. He wants those who follow him, or at least claim to follow him, to follow his example. He says, you regard me as master. That's right. You should. I am. But if I'm your master and I'm willing to do this to you, 
in my place of elevated authority and glory and whatever else, you too should be all the more willing to serve one another, all of you who are in the same place, so to speak. He was showing him, them, his gracious and loving nature and character, and he was showing them then that they should respond with the way that they lived their own lives with each other. The disciples of Jesus then and the disciples of Jesus today follow his lead. And as they keep their eyes fixed on him, focused on him, ever renewing their vision to be focused on him, and with him at the center of their plans and desires, they follow his example and then they follow his command. That's what happens then in verse 34. He served them, he led them, and then he commanded them. And that's actually the verse that we're, we're focusing on here, is, or the section is verses 34 and 35. It's in these verses that I think we see something for us to hang on to on Renewal Sunday. Look again at the command in verse 34. Love one another. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Pretty simple, but not always easy. Just like I have loved you, Jesus says. Just like the love that's flowing from my heart that's willing to then stoop to the form of a servant and wash your dirty feet. Just like the love that would then move him to a cruel Roman cross. You too must show that same kind of love to each other as my disciples. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then he says this astonishing phrase, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. Your love for one another. I said in, in the, my opening comments that what we see in verse 35 here is the centrality of Jesus in the community of Jesus leading to the mission of Jesus. And brothers and sisters, I believe that is exactly what we all should want here at Redeemer Bible Church. Jesus at the center, obeying his commands, impacting our region with the gospel as a church community together. Jesus said people will know that you're my disciples. So he's at the center of their lives. He's at the center of their identity. They follow him. And so Jesus is central. You know, I believe that the challenges that our church has faced in the years that have passed have made us ultimately spiritually stronger as a community of believers. We better understand the importance of unity and love and grace and humility and the importance of discipling one another. But it is also at the same time true that while the spiritual health of our church has probably never been better, we continue to have, just as we always have had, tangible needs as a church that we need the Lord's help to either overcome or get through. One example is pretty obvious. Just look at our monthly reports that are coming out regarding our finances, and you'll see one example of a serious need in our body. 
Our finances have trended downward lately, and that's going to be all, all sorts of reasons. Inflation's really bad, times are tough, and God sees fit to move people out of our church to other parts of the country over the last several months. And so it's easy for me, at least, to go, Lord, why can't we get ahead financially as a church? Are we really going to have to make some painful and sobering budget cuts for 2024? How is that helpful for the mission that you've called us to? But the truth is, and, and here's the point, what we need even more than a thriving budget is for Jesus to be at the center of Redeemer Bible Church's ministry. Because when he is at the center, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added to us. He will provide for what we need. And he's going to do that through the generous and faithful and sacrificial giving of his people. That's the normal way in which that happens. He'll also do that sometimes through extraordinary means, such as in 2019 when we started a fundraiser to pay off our building and the balance that we needed to pay was at just over $70,000. And the day that we announced this fundraiser and the need to pay off our building and the need for $70,000 in order to do that, we learned that day that Irene Pegler, who had just passed away a few weeks earlier, had left $70,000 to Redeemer Bible Church. I still get chills every time I think about it and say it. God can do that kind of thing. And he loves to do that kind of thing as his people continue to faithfully, even ordinarily, follow his will and do what he calls us to do. Friends, the community of Jesus, as we are centered on Jesus, will enjoy provision for the mission of Jesus. And so this command from Jesus in verse 35 is specifically about that community, his people. This is what essentially defines the community of Jesus. Those who have been loved by Jesus, who then in turn love one another. Just as I have loved you, verse 34, you also are to love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples, your love for one another. So we are loved by Jesus, which includes that whole foot washing scenario, but it also includes what came later at the cross. The love of Jesus that led him all the way to Calvary's cross where he suffered and bled and died for the people that he loved People like you and me. People like you and me who already have, perhaps, trusted in Christ for salvation, or perhaps you're listening today, either live or at a later time on a recording, and you've never turned to Jesus for salvation. Oh, my friend, I would call you to make the greatest step you've ever taken and follow Christ in faith. He loves you and He died for you. The love of Jesus led him to Calvary's cross for the community of believers in him. And so we are loved by Jesus and we love one another as a result. In other words, the love of Christ towards us compels us to show Christ's love to each other. Because, friends, when we begin to realize how much love Christ has showed us, how undeserving of it we are, we're going to be more naturally inclined. It's not always going to be easy, but we'll be more naturally inclined to reflect that same kind of selfless, sacrificial love 
to one another. We read that passage at the beginning or towards the beginning of our order of worship about the sick being in need of a physician. Oh, friends, you have to know, we have to know that that's us. And when we see that the physician has come for us to heal us and that we have been in great need of that healing, then we are more naturally inclined to be gracious and loving to each other. And that kind of love for each other in the church or in the community of faith includes a whole host of things. It includes being committed to caring for one another when we're in need, which means weeping with those who weep, means rejoicing with those who rejoice. It might mean doing what some of the believers did in the early church recorded for us in Acts 2, where they sold their possessions so that they would be able to contribute money to the people that had need. It also includes exhorting, admonishing, instructing, correcting, encouraging one another. Because we love one another too much to say or do nothing when one of us is caught in sin and staring its consequences in the face. And of course, it includes putting aside self-advancement for the sake of the gospel being advanced and the good of this community for the sake of the gospel being advanced. And as I already said, of course, monetary giving is part of that such as uh, those who also donated to that building fund in 2019 in addition to Irene's gift, such as those of you who are faithful to either place a gift in the basket on Sunday or have signed up through maybe the QR code that's on our worship guide for automatic withdrawals or whatever so that the ministry can continue, putting aside self-advancement for the sake of the advance of the gospel. But of course, it also includes time and energy, Blood, sweat, and tears, sometimes literally even. Friends, do you think this building cleans itself? It sure doesn't. No, that's organized by my parents, Leslie and Joe, and executed by a whole lot of other people. I think Teresa was here yesterday for a couple hours. Do you think the lawn gets mowed magically or the snow gets shoveled magically? No, that's been John Middlebrook typically over the last couple years. You think the meals for prayer lunches arrange themselves? Nope, that's Sarah Edmonds. She facilitates that. You think the sound system works without problems? Brandon chuckles to himself. No, no, sure doesn't. The YouTube stream, the microphones that the singers use, the sound system that the piano's plugged into, that's all Brandon Edmonds and a bunch of other guys that are part of the tech team. They come here every Sunday at 8.30 to make sure that the word is proclaimed clearly. They set aside their self-advancement, perhaps, with other things they could be doing in that time for the sake of the advance of the gospel. You know what else it includes? It also includes the setting aside of one's personal preferences or habitual hobby horses for the sake of unity in the body. Now, we certainly must seek to ensure that the most important things about what the Scripture teaches about faithful Christian churches and uh, followers of Jesus are followed without compromise. So in no way am I suggesting any kind of doctrinal or theological compromise. But when it comes to what we might call second or third order issues, in other words, issues that don't compromise the gospel or perhaps don't require us to necessarily have to join a different church when it comes to those issues we're charitable we're patient we're flexible when we need to be and certainly 
deferential to the best of our ability. Because we've been loved so much by Jesus, undeservedly so, that we can't even fathom being harsh or judgmental or impatient or ungracious or unkind in the ways that we think or speak or act towards one another when it comes to some disputable matter. Of course, there comes a time to stand firm on the truth and call out unbiblical error. There comes a time for church discipline when a straying, sinning, unrepentant church member refuses to heed the calls of Scripture. But if it's a preference, if it's a personal conviction born out of applications that may not necessarily be the only godly option, patience, humility, love. Jesus said that when his people love one another, the world notices. Unbelievers will see it and may wind up being drawn to him themselves. And that's the result of obeying Jesus' command regarding a loving community. It's the mission. He says in verse 35 that all people will know. It's everyone. In other words, there isn't anybody who will not have at least the opportunity to see Jesus' gospel working itself out in the lives of his people as those people love one another. And of course, this isn't the passage where Jesus explicitly calls for disciples making disciples. That's particularly or, or typically referred to in Matthew 28, where he says, all authority is given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. So that's kind of the typical quintessential mission passage. But isn't what Jesus is talking about in John 13, 35, people knowing that we're Jesus followers at the center of what it means to be on mission? That phrase, on mission, is a phrase that Christians sometimes like to talk about. Being on mission for Jesus, but... I wonder how often Jesus himself is at the center of whatever it is that we consider missional living. For example, to go back to the, the uh, illustration of giving, we can and should give our tithes and offerings to the ministry of whatever healthy local church we're part of. But if we do that without the spreading of Jesus' gospel at the center, at least, of our motivation, then we're kind of missing the point, the mission. Similarly, we can teach the children in the class that's going on right now or in the Kids for Truth and GC Squared Teen Ministry that's starting back up this Wednesday. We can do all that teaching all year long and not have the advance of Jesus' gospel as the central motivation and miss the mission. We can send money to missionaries. We can get a, a group together for a mission trip. We can jump into some community event here and set up a table and booth and give out free stuff and whatever and not have Jesus at the center and miss the mission. Jesus said, all people will know that you're my disciples. Friends, the mission is people noticing him. People seeing who he is, what he has done. It's not simply about them noticing that we love one another. That's the vehicle through which they then notice him. Otherwise, what we're looking for potentially is for people to see how nice we are to each other and to then join our religious club. I've got no interest in that, and I don't think you do either. 
It's about seeing what Jesus has done in us that leads us to love one another, which in turn compels unbelievers watching from the outside to then embrace that same Jesus, that Savior and Lord themselves. So friends, do you see how staggeringly important this call from Jesus in John 13, 35 is? Friends, when that fellowship group got together for a simple game night at the Poppies in 2022, Ryan and Bree noticed the loving community, and now they're here. I had some of you know, or perhaps all of you know, that last weekend Kate and I had the opportunity to go celebrate my father-in-law's ministry retirement Glad to have them here with us for a little while as they've retired now. But heard a couple of stories from a couple of people about things that went on in my father-in-law's ministry. And one of them was a story of a young man in a really abusive and broken family coming to pick up his little sisters at the church that my father-in-law pastored at the time, noticing the way that those Christians lived and acted and talked and the way his little sisters were cared for. And he wound up becoming a Christian himself because he saw what was happening at First Baptist Church of Hazel Park. Also had a conversation with uh, Kate's uncle, my mother-in-law's brother-in-law. He shared with us about how his family, after many years of sort of not having any interest in being part of the church, when they saw the way that a certain group of members at a certain church in their community were treating each other and others in their community, I think the way he said it was that he turned to his wife, Terry, and said, we got to check this out. And they went, and now they're there, and as far as I can tell, doing pretty well. Friends, that's what Jesus is calling for here in John 13, 35. When his disciples love each other the way he loved them, the world notices. They see the functional outplaying of what's true in the hearts of Christ's people, that we're followers of Jesus who have been transformed, who have been called out of the world into a gathering of a new community centered around our love for worship of and obedience to Jesus. And so, friends, I am totally convinced that no matter what else is going on in our church, we have got to remember the centrality of Jesus in the community of Jesus leading to the advance of the mission of Jesus. And so sure, as we're here on Renewal Sunday, it's possible that we could be paying attention to the finances at our church and looking at 2024 with a little bit of dread because of them. But if that's you, I strongly urge you to get your eyes off of that and turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, as we sang. Then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And that, of course, doesn't mean we don't need to be aware of ministry needs and seek to meet them. Giving, perhaps, if you need to, if you've never done that before, or whatever else might be what God is calling you to. So it doesn't mean not caring about that stuff, but it does mean that when we keep Jesus truly at the center, we don't fret about the challenges that this world, our own sinful hearts, the evil one himself may throw at us. Because God will advance our gospel ministry as we pursue Jesus' mission with him at the center. Just a couple or a few maybe weeks ago now, John Middlebrook and I got to get together for some mutual edification and fellowship as we try to do now and then. 
And we got to talking about several things about life and ministry and as Christian men and then in the context of our local church. And uh, we got to talking about how it could be easy for a church like ours to be in danger at times of being in a bit of an identity crisis. And John said some things that I thought was so profound. He said that those of us who have been around at Redeemer from the old days, quote-unquote, which are certainly a handful of us here from the very early days of our church's origins, perhaps being in danger of metaphorically wearing and holding on to letter jackets, so to speak, from whatever year we arrived. And then that those of us who would say we, quote-unquote, survived the trials of our church in 20 and 21, which of course is true of many, many Christians and many, many churches, would be in danger of wearing and holding on to metaphorical battle armor from those circumstances. When in reality, John said, we all need to remember that we're already actually wearing some different garments that define us, which is the righteous robes of Christ. In other words, if I can try to spin it a little bit in my own words, as we enter into a kind of new year, so to speak, at this church's, this year's renewal Sunday, our church needs to be careful to keep Jesus and his community and his mission central. The gospel has transformed us into the people of God. We are not identified as the people who survived COVID. We are not identified as the people who helped start Redeemer Bible Church. No, we are the people that Christ has saved. Amen. And we are the people that he has called to serve him. And so, John 13 tells us this beautiful account of our Lord's service to unworthy disciples. His call for his disciples to follow his example of selfless and sacrificial love and his command to love one another as they pursue living out their discipleship before the world. And as we close, I'd like to invite you to consider these three questions as we pursue our renewal as a church. What are some practical ways that God is calling you, individually, to pursue Jesus, His community, and His mission? Have you noticed areas in which our church needs Growth regarding the centrality of Jesus in the community of Jesus leading to the mission of Jesus? And if so, what are they? And then finally, how can you help our church move forward? You'll find those on your worship guide as well, but I have them there for your consideration even now. May God help us as we seek to move forward together in love for Him and because of His love for us, love for one another. Let's pray. Lord, we are astonished at your love for us. We know that this account of Christ's washing of his disciples' feet is only a taste of the love that was shown for all of your disciples when you went to Calvary for us to die in our place as a perfect substitute for sin. We're astonished. We're thankful. 
And we're also asking that you would then move us forward as believers in light of that love for us. That we would be certainly moved to love you as well, but in particularly as you've called us to in this passage today, to love one another so that, in part so that, the world will see how glorious it is to be a disciple of Jesus and then turn to him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Let's take just a few moments to continue in prayer quietly in response to God's word. We are thankful for the Word of God that then spurs us on towards this mission and ministry, all with the goal of sharing this message in preparation for our Christ's return. Let's stand together and sing of this grace.